This is the Taiwanology podcast from Commonwealth Magazine, where we discuss Taiwan matters and why they matter to you. Coming to you from Taipei, the capital of the freest nation in Asia. Welcome to another episode of the Taiwanology podcast. This is your host Guang Yingliu from Commonwealth Magazine. This is a very special episode, not just because of its format, but also because of the timing. As this episode airs, the 28th edition of the United Nations Climate Change Summit, or COP28, is well underway in Dubai. Once a year, representatives from over 200 countries gather to take a hard look at the decarbonization efforts and debate what to do or what not to do. Why is this relevant to us? As a climate reporter, this is often the time of the year when I recount the loss and gains of Taiwan's climate efforts, and I dedicate this episode of the Taiwanology Podcast to the topic of climate change. In this episode that originally aired on the Switch, you will hear about my personal journey of becoming a climate correspondent, why there's so much greenwashing going on around us, and what can be done about it. Back in summer, I had the honor to have an interview with Kristina Hoxrom Ilyevska, the host of the Switch, which is a podcast produced by the Swedish company Baselow Capital, a major geothermal energy investor. Baselow Capital is also the owner of Baselow Power Taiwan, which is building and operating geothermal power plants. The purpose of the Switch podcast is to educate and entertain the public. Strengthen green partnerships and put renewable energy on top of the political agenda. If you're eager to watch the episode instead, head over to our YouTube channel through the link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Christina. Welcome back to the Switch. Not just another podcast. From a very special place, actually Taiwan, Taipei. So you see this amazing view we have in the background is uh, across the world. We are here to interview a superstar that I'm going to tell you about very soon. Uh, but before that, I just want to remind you why we are here today. The switch is all about making uh, you get more information to educate you, to entertain you about everything that has to do with the switch, so that you and I together can make sure to switch into a greener, better, and healthier planet where we can live and rejoice for many, many, many hundreds of decades left. To do that, I get exciting guests with me here today that have expertise on different topics, and we discuss truly honestly both elevating and bullshitting everything that is out there to be done. Hmm. I don't have my producer in-house, but I have a special crew behind the scenes here that are helping me to produce this show. So I hope you are ready for this. If you like this, make sure you share, make sure you subscribe and comment so that we get your focus and uh, thoughts, because that's what drives us. Without no further ado, I think it is time for me to present the guest of today. In the realm of journalism and podcasting, there exists a force to be reckoned with, a trailblazer who fearlessly uncovers the hidden stories that shape our world. I want you to meet Kuang Yin Li, an award-winning journalist, podcast host, whose passion for truth and environmental advocacy has garnered her with widespread recognition with an unparalleled ability to dwell into the depths of Taiwan's energy transition and environmental challenges. She was honored with the pre prestigious 2020 SOPA Award for Excellence in Reporting on the Environment. I think that that is pretty cool. She's working for the Commonwealth Magazine and making sure that her voice is heard and the stories are told, but that's not all. She has a podcast, Taiwanology has started earlier this year and captured many's attention. And I hope that this will help her raise attention for that podcast because it will break ground in Taiwan. Uh, with a uh, knack for captivating storytelling and with 
a lot of experience in this area. I am super happy to have you here on the podcast with me. Thank you, Christina. Very privileged to be here with you. No, I am privileged to have <laughs> you here. Listen, you have done major pieces that has really shaped the conversation in Taiwan. Just to take one example, you were the one who put geothermal uh, on the agenda two years ago here in Taiwan. And actually now there is a government is looking into it. It's really interesting how much journalism can do. Just two years, it felt much longer. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been two years. And, and what I look at when I see that is it's so cool how creating awareness and putting the right people at the right time together can actually mm -hmm. make such a change mm -hmm. in short time. Right, right. I should say that the stars were aligned at the, the right time when Taiwan was just uh, thinking about um, energy transition and uh, picking up renewable energy. And people started to pay attention to other renewable energy sources and uh, more stable ones. Uh, apart from wind and solar, of course, very hugely mm. important. So I think at, at the, the right time, uh, Van from Baselow Power came into my horizon. I think I, I, I met him at a, at a conference of Scandinavian um, startups. And really, um, Baselow Power caught my eye. And I immediately reached out to him. And uh, I also realized we had some common friends. So, yeah, that was easy. And uh, it was really a privilege for me to, to have um, broken the story on Baselow mm. Power in Taiwan. You say that stars align, but I also think it's very much of hard work. Uh, we're going to dive into that. I know Good. that uh, that is. But before that, I really Looking want forward. to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So it's time to uh, roll the wheel of questions and see what you get Ooh, wow. uh, from our producers back there. Okay. <laughs> wheel of questions. What would you sing at karaoke night? It's going to be It's My Life uh, by Bon Jovi. Oh. One of my favorite songs. And why is that? Well, I think it's really true. And it's really brave, daring. And it's telling people, like, you cannot dictate what I'm going to do because it's my life. It's in my hands. I'm the, the master of my own fate. I like it a lot. Is that something that has been driving, is that a driving force within you generally? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I, I think growing up in, in Asia, as a, as a woman growing up in Asia, it's really easy to have people tell you what you are supposed to do, what you're supposed to think. But I just refuse to be shaped by other people's opinion. I, I must say that it's still in, inside me. I think it's ingrained in my genes, but I'm doing my best to to fight the the urge to care too much about how people think of me and just uh, you know have to be be the master of my own faith takes strength to do that where does your strength come from I think uh, the strength comes from the um, uh, the urge to I don't know not to succumb I, 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 I honestly think um, it's probably my education my, my my mother is uh, has always been a very hard worker she has never given up working i mean she's uh, over 60 she can retire now but she just doesn't want to stay at home and stay put so she always tries to yeah tell us to um you know work hard and be a useful people to the society it's pretty interesting yeah. there is always there is often a mother somewhere in the picture <laughs> yeah. and when you have a mother that is a role model it can yeah. really like give you the energy i i feel the same i have yeah. an amazing mother so yeah, yeah, cheers yeah. to our mothers right yes yeah yes <laughs> cheers cheers to our mother yeah. cool wheel of questions Who is your hero and what is your proudest accomplishment? So this might sound like cliche, but um, 
Well, so I've been at Commonwealth Magazine for 11 years. So that sounds like a really a long time. But um, I would say that the hero would be the, the founder of the magazine, Diane Ng. Mm. Um, she, was, she is also a journalist. She's 82 years old now, uh, retired two years ago. And she started Commonwealth Magazine at the age of 40, at the, around the time when U.S. and, and Taiwan broke ties, uh, diplomatic mm. ties. So at, around the time in Taiwan, there was really a sense of despair. So mm. people in Taiwan were like, oh, we're going to go under now because America has given up on us. And she just felt that uh, Taiwan needs more encouragement and we need to... Um, really make it in the world for ourselves. We need to prove that we are worthy partners in a lot of things, um, politically, economically. We're, uh, Taiwan needs to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, people cannot ignore us and we have to prove ourselves worthy. That's why we always have to work hard wow. and prove ourselves useful because we don't have the luxury of just sitting there and um, you know waiting for people to help us if we don't start helping ourselves. That's not going to happen. So, yeah, she's my hero because she's a reporter, but she's also a uh, businesswoman, very successful one, I should say, even though the business of media is not uh, doing very well, <laughs> I don't think around the world. Um, we're still profitable, not super profitable, of course, but we are trying to do... Um, the right things, we're trying to do the good things and making money along the way. But of course, that's not the priority. So yeah, I should say she's my hero. Let's dive into the subject we're here for Ooh. today. Okay, let's go. Uh, I mean, you covered the transition, uh, the climate and the environmental topics for many years. If you think about when you started and where we are today, what are the biggest changes? What are the differences in what you are reporting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I started covering energy transition and, and climate change, I think back in 2015 for Commonwealth Magazine. Um, all started because at the time, the magazine didn't have someone to cover energy because the guy just left. Mm -hmm. and, and also, <laughs> um, there was an opportunity for someone at the magazine to cover the uh, to COP 21st at, at uh, in Paris and that was a really very crucial moment for the the climate um, activism I think so at the at the time I was able to go to Paris and attend the uh, COP 21 the big one for the first time was my first experience at a, a UNFCCC conference I had to say I was impressed at the scale and the magnitude of the things that they were trying to achieve. And I also realized that was a watershed moment for um, climate ambitions across the world because that was the time for the first, very first time, I think all the countries were, um, they, they signed the agreement to keep the... Um, uh, increase of temperature under 1.5 degrees. That yeah. was the ambition, announced ambition. And I think... The uh, agreement yeah. that we're always referring back to, <laughs> the Paris Agreement. Yeah, the Paris Agreement. Yeah. That's true. And I have to say that... Um, so that, that was eight years ago. Um, before that, the climate coverage in Taiwan were mainly about... Um, uh, the, the, the melting glaciers, the, the polar bears, it, it felt so far away from us. And people talked about El Gore's documentary film, The Inconvenient Truth, yeah. a lot. So yeah. that was the conversation, but everything felt so distant. And people were talking about the Marshall Islands, Maldives, uh, Tuvalu sinking. But people didn't really feel that, oh, it had anything to do with us. Yeah. Right, so there was no imminent threat. I think threat. that was general globally right as well right. i mean that was yeah. the feeling at the, that when the paris agreement was signed it was more about as you said polar bears and mm -hmm. yeah it was it was around the time but i feel that in in europe things were already moving quickly uh, so france scandinavia germany they, they they started talking about decarbonization long before taiwan and really after a paris agreement the the climate uh, topic 
became real in Taiwan, mainly because it's about money. It, it just became about money survival, economic survival, because Taiwan is really dependent on trade. I would say that 80% of our revenues come from external trade. And when Paris Agreement happened, uh, companies, uh, the, the big brands, um, Apple, IKEA, all the global brands mm -hmm. around the world started pledging um, net zero ambitions and maybe renewable energy ambitions. It started beca becoming real for Taiwanese companies because oh. mainly because it's it now um, has something to do with them. It's no longer about polar bears and, and glaciers. It's something that they have to change and do. Right. Otherwise, they have no business for the future. So that's mainly uh, when the interest picked up. So that's also around the time when um, I, I first covered renewable energy about three, four years ago. People started paying attention to that, not because they really were concerned about the climate. It's mainly because, oh yeah, if I don't use it enough renewable energy, I'm going to uh, lose all my business for the future. So I would say that uh, from the time I started covering energy and climate and, and now, is that people realize that it's real and uh, it has to do with their livelihoods. Mm. And so that's what's making them nervous more than anything else. Do you feel that the climate in the conversation has changed? Is it more harsh now? Was it, uh, was it easier to get the stories in the beginning than it is now? What are the differences in, in the journalism part? Mm -hmm. So for journalists, um, I think in the, in the beginning when we started covering climate, we were focusing on like the technical side or the, uh, the degradation of nature. And then the, at, around the time, we just felt very frustrated because the stories we did, nobody was interested in reading them. And right now, really, I think more and more journalists are doing the story because people's attention really have shifted. They know that this has to do with our business. So our, I would say that our reporting focus now um, is really more on new business models. So I think phase one was maybe the awareness of the uh, calamity, the crisis part. Mm -hmm. and. And the, the phase two is acceptance and how do we adapt to the new situation. And now phase three, I think um, as a, a business reporter, uh, where, are, where, where we come in is really how do we develop new solutions and using the Taiwan's expertise in technical, um, you know, we have a lot of technical experts in circular economy. We have a lot of material scientists. And uh, so it's mainly coming up with new business models, new solutions for problems. For example, waste. I could, I could name a, a very recent example. So my intern just did a, a very uh, impactful story, I would say of a small startup company that was able to uh, turn toxic waste from mm -hmm. TSMC into some uh, new material that can be used in the steelmaking industry. So the steelmaking industry in Taiwan, they, they used to need to import that material from China. So 10 years ago, China started restricting the export of that material. And it was around the time uh, when TSMC was thinking about how to deal with their waste. Actually, as a result of our cover story in, in 2015. Change. <laughs> yeah, so, so change. So this TSMC realized they had to spend more, they had to pay more attention to their waste um, disposal rather than just outsourcing it to one company. So uh, this year, TSMC started a new zero waste center in central Taiwan. They have found five companies that are uh, really experts in circular economy solutions. They put them together and they have pledged to um, discharge zero toxic, toxic waste from their processes. 
I'll go awesome on that one, I think. <laughs> yes, the first awesome today. Yes, so we're yeah, gonna I, have many more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would I would say that right now the the the, the um, focus is really on new business proposals, new solutions for the climate crisis, the waste crisis. So we are mm. here to provide solutions. I, if you look at it from that perspective, that there are three phases. It's in a sense. What we know is not going fast enough. You mentioned that you were on the first COP. We soon have a new COP. Uh, are we moving the needle? Hmm. Right. I, uh, it's a really tough question. I, I guess it be. It really depends on who you ask. <laughs> I think if you are uh, asking somebody who is in the the business of oil and gas, they will say, "Of course." Because we are the ones that have the resources to move the needle. Because we have been making so much money, and if you stop us from making even more money, how can we fund the climate transition? Because oh, look, we are also uh, investing in offshore wind. We are investing mm. in all kinds of renewable energy solutions. We are starting our own carbon credit certification agencies to certify, you know, the carbon credits we have accumulated by ourselves. So, of course, we are moving the needle, but maybe that's on the book. You, you would, the, the, the corporates, they, they can come up with all kinds of ways to um, make it seem like they have achieved something, hmm. right? But in terms of... If they have really moved the needle, if they have really changed anything, I would put a big question mark on that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but on the other hand, if you ask the activists, uh, if you ask the Fridays for Future people, uh, the media, there's a really an abundance of climate conscious um, journalists and media outlets out there. So if you ask them, I think from a grassroots level, people will feel that the needle has been moved and the, the needle will keep moving mm. because more and more people are aware of the climate crisis. And you will see a lot of people who are also doing what they can to um, sort of revive maybe the, the natural habitats or to teach their kids about climate. And uh, mm. yeah, I think maybe from a grassroots level that the needle has moved more than the corporate world. Has it been difficult to be a journalist throughout this period? Is it, I mean, going from no clicks to more clicks and then also mm. being guided by the clicks in a sense, has mm -hmm. it been difficult to be a journalist, to be driving and to try to move that needle. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's been challenging, I should say, you know, from, from no clicks uh, and from, uh, it, there was a time I, I could really struggle to think about any other journalists who are covering mm. uh, the, the climate topic. But now I, I should say that um, there's a saturation of also climate topics because everybody is uh, talking about ESG is the latest trend. So all the media outlets, they, they started the ESG channel over the past one or two years. We were among the first, but now it's really, uh, the scene is very crowded. And um, also uh, our magazine was also the first one to introduce the idea of corporate social responsibility. And we have had that award for more than 20 years. Mm. But now there's so many other similar awards out there. And also, I should say that more opportunities for companies to engage in greenwashing activities and, and campaigns, they could pay to be um, an award winner uh, at those um, events, take great pictures saying, yeah, we have done something really nice. But in terms of really has anything been, been changed. Uh, and, and, and also for journalists, it's now it's a, it's a, it's a struggle to find really, um, you have to find really worthy climate stories as opposed to greenwashing stories. And maybe um, some of the younger journalists, if they are less experienced, it could be more difficult for them to tell the difference. 
So sometimes a journalist could be tricked into, you know, covering really flashy, beautiful looking stories that they saying they're that climate heroes. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the BS stories. Yeah. They're a lot out there. So I think really the challenge for journalists now is to be able to tell the worthy stories from the less worthy ones, and that's a, a constant challenge, I should say. Yeah. How do you overcome a challenge like that? How do you work in order to find out? Yes, uh, it takes time and experience and stumbles, I should say. But luckily, uh, our magazine really has really encouraged us to take our time and to talk to as many. Experts as as possible, and um, also uh, we're there's also a lot of respect, and we are uh, encouraged to be, you know, calling BS when we when we see one. So, for example, there's a lot of talk about carbon credits. So, as a matter of fact, Taiwan just opened its carbon credit exchange a few weeks ago, and. Um, um, Yeah, so some people might say that, oh yeah, it's a great achievement. But if you if you really look into it, there's a a, a lot of bubble and um, the the carbon credit exchange. There's really very limited they can do right now. But they're claiming to have been a, a huge step. And now, carbon credit has um, really created this anxiety among. Businesses that mm. like, uh, oh yeah, we have to get our hands on carbon credits. So that's why it also um, has produced a lot of, uh, I would say, scammers. Okay, again, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people Thanks. who are claiming that they can help companies get carbon credits, and uh, they, but in fact, many of them are maybe just in it to make money. Saying that they could teach you things, but they're just taking advantage of people's anxiety. So um, yeah, that's. The I think this is one of now. the really uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. that are not spoken about enough out mm -hmm. there, because mm -hmm. with opportunity always comes the scammers. Mm -hmm. So the right. ones who are trying to take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah. So I mean, there are so many people out there who are really trying to do their best to move the needle mm -hmm, and then you have mm -hmm, the people who are actually mm -hmm. working against it in mm -hmm. in such a way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you go back to the, the the work that you've chosen as a journalist mm -hmm. what is the role of journalism in order mm -hmm. for us to move the needle what would you say how would mm -hmm. you explain that right so i would really say that um if, if taiwan is a Uh, is a is a democracy uh, is a uh, that has a robust civil society. People really need unbiased and truthful information for them to make informed decisions politically, or if they are going to make investment decisions. Mm -hmm. I think our responsibility is to tell them what's really going on. So, uh, going back to the example of carbon credits, so. There, uh, when when the carbon credit exchange was introduced, there was really a lot of news coverage saying how great it is, how glorious it is, how how much business opportunities are going to be generated by this carbon credit exchange. But um, for Commonwealth Magazine, we took a more reserved stance. So we have produced a lot of articles telling people. Um, There have been actually a lot of myths surrounding this topic, and 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 also what would be the right approach. Mm. And uh, so, uh, so we actually debunked uh, a lot of uh, claims by those scammers. And this is really something that we we try to do. Yeah, I don't mm. know if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. I think you you think I think you did. I mean, what I wanted to go at is like the the importance of free journalism mm -hmm. is a piece of the democracy that yes. needs to be there in order for citizens to do decisions that yeah. are based on facts. Yes, yeah, that's so true. That's true. It's a, mm -hmm. um, and and having a mother who was a journalist, I know what hard work it is mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. actually find out truths and. Uh, To convey them in a in a 
tasteful way as well. Yeah, it has to be entertaining as well. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. sometimes my writing is, is criticized by my editor as being too technical, and you know, it's really hard for people to swallow. So it's something that I'm working on right now. So do we. <laughs> That's why we have this podcast. Yeah. We want to make it entertaining and educating at the same time. Listen, while I have you here, I really can't let you go without, I mean, you have the eyes on Taiwan's situation. Okay. If we would just dwell into that for a second, what's, uh, how's the nation's stance on climate change uh, and environmental policies involved through the years? The big question could go on for days. Uh, I could to... sit here with you for days. <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> uh, I, I should say that uh, Taiwan is a latecomer to the, the game. Uh, it has to do with how Taiwan is geographically and politically marginalized for the longest time. Never felt that it's part of the international society. Never felt that it plays any important role. Mm. Never felt that it has the responsibility to decarbonize and to care about the, the you know, issue because we're not a, a member of the UNFCCC. So every year... Uh, when UNFCC happens, the COP takes place, there's maybe going to be a, a survey by some international think tank and uh, Taiwan media coverage will be, oh, okay, Taiwan ranks really badly on the global ranking. We, we are not do, doing enough um, combating climate change. And I should say that uh, the, the awareness is there now that the the government, the people, and the business, uh, they are aware that the climate crisis is real and we have to do something about it. But mm -hmm. the effort, I should say that um, it, it's, it's not enough. Yeah, I think everywhere it's, it's not enough. We still have 80% of our e electricity coming from fossil fuel sources, um, imported fossil fuel sources from very far away places mm. like Qatar, the United States, and Australia, and yeah, we and we are building more fossil um, uh, power plants, mm. natural gas power plants, building LNG terminals, and so and, and in the future we're going to rely uh, fifty percent of our power on natural gas, thirty percent on coal, hopefully twenty percent on renewable energy and I would say that energy mix doesn't look very progressive <laughs> globally no. not at all so that's the energy side and in the industrial side well you probably know already that the uh, energy prices in Taiwan are kept artificially low uh, it's subsidized by the taxpayers money that's mm. why Thai power is losing money um, Zhongyou, the CPC, Chinese Petroleum Company, has been losing money big time, maybe even uh, more this year than, than last year. So um, uh, since the power prices are so low, the industries here really have very little incentive to save, to conserve energy, to increase energy efficiency. So I would say that either from the government side or the business side, there is effort, but it needs to be... Uh, more ambitious and it needs to be faster and there needs to be better business solutions uh, mm. but also policies, energy policies. So based on what you just said, if you had a magic wand and would say three things that you would like the government to change, what would mm. that be in order to meet the climate goals? Mm. Right, so um, I think the first important thing is to rationalize the power prices because the electricity prices and as well as the water prices are very low here, artificially low for decades. Uh, I really think there needs to be a, a, a mechanism to increase the uh, price of electricity um, gradually each year. Maybe we should have started 10 years ago. Mm. And the second thing would be... Um, uh, a carbon tax for energy uh, use for, uh, I think, mainly industry and, and the people. Um, 
that's going to be very important because without it, uh, the industries and people will have no incentive to save energy or to increase energy efficiency. And the third thing, magic wand, right? So I, I would like to increase Taiwan's uh, size by 10 times. So we have enough land for solar energy, uh, solar panels, uh, because we know that solar panels, they, they really took a, a lot of space. And space is what Taiwan really doesn't have. We have very little space. So uh, that's why we see a lot of um, conflict between solar power and um, uh, natural habitat protection. So these are the three things. Very difficult. That's why we should go underground then. Yes, that's uh, the incentive. Find the sources yes. over there. Yeah. If you look at like, okay, so we took the Taiwan perspective now. You've been covering both global and local uh, environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Do you see any differences or trends in both, mm -hmm. both ways? Mm -hmm. uh, right, so my... Um, first trip to Europe to cover energy was in 2015, the Paris uh, uh, COP21. Uh, afterwards, I also spent some time in Europe. Um, in 2017, uh, I was on a fellowship in Germany, so I, I spent a few months in Berlin. I was also covering energy. Then, and last year, I took the fellowship again. Uh, so last summer, it was... Um, a really dramatic summer because all over Germany mm. people were uh, buying wood for the winter because yeah. uh, because uh, the, the Ukraine war um, uh, Russian gas has been cut off gradually uh, the the supply to Germany so Germans were really really nervous what's gonna happen and uh, the industries were really in bad shape because of the uh, really high energy prices and my feeling was that um, okay so if you want to compare the difference between let's say Europe that's, so that's what I'm mm -hmm. more familiar with 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 Taiwan is that I really felt that uh, when uh, people talk about climate and energy the, the solutions they have a more long-term view they, they think about decades down the line or maybe hundreds of years because I remember when I, when I first went to Germany to cover climate I was visiting a house that's called a plus house uh, so plus energy they they produce more energy than they consume and that project was already going on for two decades I think even or maybe at least 10 years before my visit hmm. so you could really tell that uh, a lot of projects really took a lot of time in planning but they have the patience to plan something that's going to happen in the next 10 years not the next one year so i really feel that there's a more long-term view uh, so like a long-term planning and uh, the, the willingness to to wait for things to happen uh, uh, another example was uh, when I did a, a cover story about um, also climate crisis. I interviewed a lady who uh, is from Wales and she, she was the chair of the Committee on Future Generations. So they, they really had this long-term view that we are going to make our plans today uh, with the benefits of the future generations in mind because we are responsible for them hundreds of years down the line. So we, we have to make mm. the policies now uh, which are not going to put off future generations in debt. But I, I don't feel that view uh, would be prevalent in, in Taiwan because we have elections every four years and the politicians are always thinking about what can I make, what can I produce in the next three months one year, two that years. Be, that will help me get reelected. Yes, that will help. So everything, yeah, yeah. Everything is about re-election. Nothing is really about the future generations because the future generations are, they can't vote for me in four years. So why do I have to care about them? And I only have to care about the here and now because here are the people who are going to vote for me. 
uh, in four years. So I really feel a lot of the policies are very short-sighted. Hmm. Hence the carbon credit exchange. <laughs> you know, something that we can create in one month. Yeah. Right. What do we do about it? I mean, we, we all want to do the switch, but hmm. the switch is actually proactively worked against because of power struggles and such. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. money, industries. Mm -hmm. What do you think mm -hmm. we should do about it? Yeah, so that's the question I ask myself all the time. Like uh, with the political situation like this, with um, elections coming up very often and everything is about election. Um, I still think what I can do as a journalist working in a media outlet is to try to provide the most accurate information for people um, maybe my hope is that out of every hundred people who have read my story maybe 10 people will change their mind mm -hmm. maybe one person will change their behavior uh, so that's how optimistic i am so one at a time if i could just provide the most accurate unbiased information we could maybe educate the, the public. Uh, they can become more informed citizens who are thinking not just about themselves, not just about their profits in the next few years. I, I do think we have to try um, everything. Um, and, and, and sometimes when the government when it becomes too difficult for the government to change things, maybe it's time for businesses, <laughs> the, the visionary uh, business people, uh, the in investors who have their vision to, to drive things. Uh, so, um, for example, like the, the Bill Gates of the world, the Elon Musks, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, these are just some examples of people who have the, the vision to try to change things. So um, Musk with the EVs and maybe, I really hope one day he, he invests more of his money in renewable energy or alternative energy sources. But we could see that uh, uh, Gates, uh, who is also a, a main investor of Breakthrough Energy Ventures, has really put a lot of efforts in um, alternative energy sources that are, um, you know, decarbonized and, and stable. And I think these are very important directions to take. Mm. So I think if the technologies, uh, uh, as they become available, more available, there will be more um, chance for them to get noticed by the uh, policymakers and the people uh, so that we have more options for the future. Mm. So, yeah, we just have So you hopes. are, I feel mm. that you're still yet positive in a sense. Mm -hmm. And you, you believe that it, the big affection, uh, the big change will come from industries mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. people, uh, companies, rather than politicians. Right. I, I do think they have to work together mm. Yeah, because the real solutions could only be developed by visionaries in, in the business. They, they, they would not come out of the energy you know, department. They, they will have a lot of experts, maybe in policy making, but the, the, the real change is developed by the, the businesses. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's, that's what I believe. Ending on a hopeful note, that's good. Yes, <laughs> always. I'm bringing you to the part where we actually have uh, questions from the future. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is uh, one of our children who is asking you a question. Questions from our future. What do you want me to do different than your generation? First of all, I think the future generations will, will come up with their own priorities. But if I'm going to uh, give my two cents. I think it'll be try to live in harmony with everyone and everything around you. 
try not to be human centric. And I think our generations are very human centric. We think we are the king of the universe, and we could do whatever we want to people around us. As long as we are more powerful, we we could use any resource around us, and we are just. Depleting all the resources as we like、mm. to maximize our profits for now. So I think maybe the future generation, when there is no longer currency, when there is no longer,、uh, maybe they live in the the、uh, the what the, the metaverse or something. So <laughs> <laughs> they they will be able to live in harmony with the world and not take anything for granted and not take.、Uh, And unjust advantage of anything, so it's just one idea. I that, like that yeah. living in harmony. Yeah, living in harmony, which is actually very Confucius ancient Chinese way of thinking. <laughs> yes, true that.、Yeah. True that. I wanted to、uh, jump into、uh, another segment we actually have on this podcast, and that is the segment of uncomfortable conversations. Ooh,、okay. Are you ready for that? Yes, love those. I'm all about making people uncomfortable. But <laughs> <laughs> good. Uncomfortable conversations. We've been talking a little bit、uh, about this, but journalists and media are often criticized for not reporting enough on climate change and sustainability. Okay, okay. Do you think it's true, or are readers not interested in、mm. the topics? Yeah, that's a chicken and egg problem.、Uh, like I said be- before, I would say before COP twenty one, two thousand fifteen, sixteen, readers in Taiwan generally were not really interested in climate related questions.、Uh, Topics, but now that I think it's in on everyone's mind, I do think the new challenge now is to come up with new ways, new angles to cover climate. So I, I mentioned the glacier and the polar bear angle, and then、um, we have a lot of、uh, business stories. But now we try to combine different. Fields of knowledge to to cover climate. So, for example, I'll give you an example.、Uh, recently, we did a story on how to how to tackle the heat problem in urban Taipei city. So,、uh, it's a climate story,、mm-hmm. but it's also an urban planning story. We、uh, we interview a lot of climate experts.、Uh, that re- there was data showing that the increase. Of temperature in Taipei City, among twenty main major cities in Asia, Taipei ranks the second, just behind Beijing.、Mm. So we're just digging into why Taipei is so hot, and also、uh, there could be some solutions in urban planning. How we plan the the buildings, how we can leave more space,、uh, how t- we could create corridors for wind. So this is a climate story, but it's also about architecture, about urban planning. So it's not just about hard science, but also、uh, how you can make your living spaces more, a little bit more comfortable, less hot, just by creating wind. You could also save energy、hmm. because of that. Because then that's a good example. Yeah, yeah. So、um, this story got a lot of、um, attention because.、Hmm. It、uh, was really published around the time when Taipei was super hot. It was over thirty-eight degrees,、mm. so it got a lot of people's attention, and it was also a new approach. So I would say that our challenge now is to combine different topics to、uh, really showcase the interdisciplinary nature of the climate question.、Mm. So, right, that's the new challenge. I agree with you, but to to、uh, di- to dwell in a little bit more on the uncomfortable. I mean, this from this information and skepticism is still a big part of、mm-hmm. energy and climate yeah、uh, reporting、mm-hmm. in a sense. And there are stories where、uh, journalists have been bought to report about something that is good. You mentioned it a little bit earlier about these、yeah. scams, but、right. and and everybody tries to. Show off their good and green side.、Uh, mm, how do we make mm, sure mm. that the reporting is so correct and so not bought 
that it yeah. actually really creates awareness. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Right, so um, I could only speak about myself and my organization. We have really high ethic. So uh, we have separate departments for editorial and sales, right? So that might, might not sound like anything, but in, in Taiwan, it's become the norm to mix the editorial department and the sales department. So you, anyone with some money, you can really buy coverage mm -hmm. by real reporters. But in our magazine, it doesn't happen. They are completely separate. And if there's sponsor content, it says so. It says sponsor content. So you can never get uh, like the, the stories that are completely uh, bought, mm -hmm. right? So I could only speak by, you know, from ourselves. So what I can do, what we can do at the organization is just to make sure that we get the most unbiased information to try to combat uh, a lot of uh, misinformation out there because I cannot change what other people do. No, definitely. And, and I mean, the challenge in, in my perspective is that there is so... the. To get information today is so easy. The yeah. source is not discussed. Mm -hmm. So there, mm -hmm. I mean, information and articles and, and videos and such, they come from, you name it, the different source. And it doesn't mm -hmm. always come from, for example, the Commonwealth, if, if you look at that. Right. And people trust what they see and yeah. what they read. Right. I mean, I, as a CMO of Basel Capital, I get approached about twice per week, someone who wants me to buy an article from them. And when I say, no, we only do organic, so we only grow ourselves, and if someone wants to interview us, that's okay. But we're not paying to be interviewed. Mm -hmm. That actually becomes uncomfortable yeah. in the situation. Like, I mean, that must be so irritating as well as a mm -hmm. journalist that does a really hard work and really tries to dig out the stories that these like from the side come mm. and take uh, yeah. airtime yeah what are you, what is your perspective on that uh well yeah that is really a, a big challenge because we know that other people are doing that you know all the media outlets are reaching out to companies saying oh yeah we could sell you this we could sell you that well, again, there is no control, but I, I do want to comment on um, the uh, aspect that there's really um, information overload for everyone. Every single second there, there is information. There's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Reels, Stories. So, mm -hmm. so much entertaining content out there. So, you know, we cannot complain if people do not read our serial stories. What we have to do is, is to turn our serial stories into more entertaining forms so that people will pay attention. So uh, I just named a recent example of the, the urban wind corridor story. Yeah. We were able to have some really young interns make eye-catching Instagram stories to make people aware. So... Uh, instead of giving them a super long article, there was a lot of graphics and moving images. And we embedded our core messages in those uh, 30 seconds of Instagram stories. So at least we could get the message out there. So for people who are not interested in reading a, a long article, they could watch that 30 second story and know, oh, okay. Uh, the climate story could also be told this way, and uh, I love that example. Yeah. I think that is awesome. I think, we, <laughs> I think yeah. that's exactly what we need to do. Right? Yeah, new so, storytelling. Yeah, mm -hmm. new storytelling, but from the credible sources. Right. So, yeah. I mean, to all the switchers out there, we really need to start looking into the sources. Mm -hmm. Where does this information come from? Right. Uh, who paid for it mm -hmm. because someone is always paying for something mm -hmm. right that's so, true to make sure that it's a genuine and correct source right yeah so we're really relying on the readers and audiences out there to be smarter and more discerning yeah and i think that i mean it's a again chicken and egg but from a positive side 
if mm. they read up more on the correct sources, they right. will be able to participate and make better choices yes. for themselves as well. Yes, yes, yeah. So uh, choose your diet well is what I would say. I love that one. One uh, important thing about making awareness, you mentioned uh, a little bit uh, in an earlier conversation we had about the right people talking, influencers. Mm -hmm. You've had a very interesting, uh, or I would say, you've had a prestigious interview with a person who has a lot of effect in the industry. Mm -hmm. You uh, Mm -hmm. interviewed Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. Until a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, how was Mm -hmm. that and what did you bring out of that meeting? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really a rare opportunity. Uh, It it was because a book by Bill Gates, um, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Which is, by the way, a fantastic book. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we, we published the traditional Chinese version of that book. That's why we are able to have an interview. It was a group interview with, I think, 10 other journalists from Asia-Pacific region. So there are people from Australia, mm-hmm. India, Japan, and, and Korea. And there were two reporters from Taiwan, me and another uh, young lady. And my takeaway from that was, uh, I think for someone like Bill Gates, when you're, you're looking uh, really with a bird eye view of the, the climate issue and with a lot of resources at hand, you're really thinking about the, the big direction and the, the big issues and how can I empower the largest number of people? How can I help the most people, not just Taiwanese people, you know, because he's looking at the issues globally. He's looking at Africa and um, Latin America, China, and where the biggest populations lie, because mm-hmm. that's, that means the most impact for the world, because he's trying to make impact for the world, not just Taiwan. So it really, the perspectives are so different. Uh, what my biggest takeaway was that I like how he was agnostic about technology. Like some some people would say that, oh, nuclear energy is bad, or fossil energy is bad. But he doesn't look at it that way. He just looks at um, accumulated impacts for the environment and accumulated benefits for the for the most people. Whatever that could produce the best result for the largest number of people is good. So uh, I I really like that he is not ideal. It's not driven by ideology, Mm -hmm. but driven by an urge to improve the lives and societies for most people. And that's what I think is lacking in a a lot of the um, thinking of business people or policymakers in Taiwan because we tend to just look at a very small piece of land um, and maybe we look at uh, for the next few years instead of next few generations. Isn't that a human problem in general? Sometimes also you can look at yourself and you look at a small part. But yeah. for example, we're talking about flight shame. You shouldn't fly. Mm-hmm. But many people are not aware that every time you send that extra email, uh, that takes up <laughs> amounts of energy. Right. Or when you don't close down your laptop, that also consumes energy. Or yeah. uh, littering or uh, all those kind of things. And I think that mm-hmm. the cumulative things we do as an individual as a company, as mm-hmm. a government, actually mm-hmm. has bigger impact than fixing one problem. Right, yeah. So we, we tend to um, point out other people's problems, but not our own problems. And I think that's a, a human uh, error, I would say, that's mm-hmm. really common in, in, in all of us. But I think there should be a balance. We should look at the small behaviors of course, they, they are really important, but also the larger picture. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that humans are so nervous and that the, the fact that we're sitting here talking about the importance of the switch, it proves that we are not beyond redemption. We are still, you know, we're not just wallowing and pretending nothing is wrong. We, we are aware that something is wrong and that we have to change and all of us need to be on board. So... 
I yeah. think you just did an excellent summary of today's <laughs> conversation. <laughs> would you like to add something else? Oh, I I would just be be curious. Maybe one more question for you because Christina, you have visited Taiwan several times over the past few years. And what's your observation of the the change in attitude or awareness regarding climate policy or environment? I, I'm pretty uh, impressed. If I just take the different markets that we are in, uh, actually. Taiwan has made the biggest changes in the shortest amount of, shortest amount of time, okay. if you look at it. Mm -hmm. So when we started five years ago, we came to Taiwan about four, four years ago and started this. No one was talking about geothermal at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, then there were a couple of occasions, your article being one of them, that actually launched a conversation. Uh, and there has been great leaps and I think that it's a great combination of government, company, and uh, also like media in that mm -hmm. sense to mm -hmm. actually put it on the topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With that said, I'm impressed, but I do think that you're right. I mean, is it the, we need to start talking with all the other parts of the ecosystem as well, because mm -hmm. it's still a niche thing. We can run fast until a certain point, but in order for geothermal in this case to progress, that then we need a collaboration with all the other renewables we need to discuss mm. on a bigger agenda. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, I see speed at least in this area, mm -hmm. but I, can, I don't know, it's gonna be interesting to see the conversation moving forward now mm -hmm. and see how, as you mentioned earlier, accumulatively, yeah. how can actually Taiwan tran transition because mm -hmm. there are yeah. still a lot of things to do. Right. Yeah. I must also add, I mean, to be honest and, and respectful to this country, you, you have a situation that I don't think that many other countries can put themselves in mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. have a, have, um, you have to live really now, now, now. Mm -hmm. You cannot think too much of the future. You mm -hmm. don't want to worry too much about the circumstances that is in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I still believe and I get energy of being here because all due to these challenges, mm -hmm. Taiwan people continue to strive and want. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that I think is something that the world needs to learn. Mm -hmm. Not yeah. you started this conversation today with talking about accepting where you are and continue mm. to do what you can. Mm -hmm. And I think that mm -hmm. this country itself mm -hmm. shows that that is possible and that we all need to learn from it. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Christina. That's a more <laughs> positive note, I think, for today. Yeah. We ended on good positive notes. If you would say the top three things that you bring with you from today's episode, what would that be? Well, I think uh, it's um, really optimism. I could sense that uh, there's a lot of optimism in uh, during our conversation, the hope for things to be better. And that's one takeaway. And that's also something that's also part of our philosophy uh, of our magazine. And the second is uh, I really like how you are critical and uh, um, a, a lot of issues. We're not just taking things um, by the appearance. We're just really digging into what's really underneath. And that's, I think, lacking in a lot of conversations that, that we have today. Mm. So people are just jumping to conclusions too quickly. And third is um, really an, an urge to be self-reflective not a lot of people can do that or want to do that because it's uncomfortable for a lot of people it's it's easier to be like super confident and think i'm always right this is the best solution but i think it's really very important to to have a healthy dose of self-doubt and skepticism of what you do like questioning all the time if this is the really the best route to, to take and yeah and could, could, could we make it better 
can we um, listen to more opinions and can we make more people happy? So yeah, being self-reflective is another big takeaway. So it's a very philosophical conversation. I, I, I really enjoyed it. So did I, very much so. And uh, again, thank you for hard efforts. Uh, the truth needs to be out there and you're doing a great and important job to do that. Uh, for you, uh, the viewers and listeners of The Switch, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Uh, I want you to check out uh, and share this episode to at least for people that you think can be a part of changing the world together with us. So uh, thank you very much for today. Thank you, Christina. And it's a pleasure. see you again. We'll be back and do a report on how we actually moved forward with uh, the transition in Good. Taiwan. Okay. Is that a deal? Sure. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Good. Good. Thank Enjoy. you. Take care. And if you uh, can, take care of also someone else. See you out there. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I did because it has encouraged me to look at the topic with a critical eye at this critical time. That wraps up our episode today. If you enjoyed our discussion, please take a moment to leave a review or shoot us an email to share your thoughts. For more in-depth reports, check out Commonwealth English website. Our next episode will be available on December 12th. Special thanks to our producer, Weiru Wang, and our editor, Ian Huang. I'm your host, Guang Ying Liu from Commonwealth Magazine. Follow Taiwanology on your favorite podcast platform. And until next time, take care and stay informed.